Despite the adventure that led me to the room in that house, I was skeptical. Still, I had nothing to lose, so I stepped through the door and shut it behind me. Nothing happened. Sunlight shone through the spaces between the boards nailed over the window. Dust slow-danced in the beams. The dead rat, which lay on the unfinished hardwood in the corner of the otherwise empty room, continued being dead. There was no sound. Now what? I called out to my friend on the other side of the door. There was no answer. Bruce? I sighed, stepped out of the room and into the hall. My friend was gone. The house, too, was empty. Outside, there was no trace of the skirmish which had just occurred. I was alone on the porch of the house, alone in the woods. Everyone was gone, even the bodies. It was as if nothing had happened. Hello? I called out. Hello? No answer. In my stomach, I felt a feeling like the one I had on the morning some years before. I had admitted to myself that I'm an alcoholic. I was determined and terrified, proud of myself and aloof. My eyes burned with tears, and I thought I might vomit. I didn't believe it when I stepped inside that room, but it was true. You should know that Bruce had been right. The room had provided me a one-way ticket to another reality. Wayne, honey, Lucretia said with her hand on my chest. I was dreaming. Scott Turner is here. I sat up groaning and coughed up some goo. What time is it? After two. I found Scott at our table. I sat next to him, saying to my wife, Lucretia, love, will you hand me my cookie tin, please? In the kitchen, Lucretia groaned. You have a student over, Mr. Bird? I waved her off. Lucretia, this is my home, and I am 182 years old. I'll do as I please, thank you. Besides, he doesn't care, do you? I didn't bother to get an answer from him. Please, my leg is killing me, honey. She brought the cookie tin to me, dropped it like a hot rock in front of me, and said to the boy, He's senile, Scott. To me, she said, Yesterday you were 203, Methuselah, so lucky you, you're aging in reverse. She marched back into the kitchen. I leaned towards Scott and whispered, Did you see that look she gave me? That's what my father would have called an ice-pick look. I smiled at him. Meaning, it's a look so mean you'd rather stab yourself in the eye with an ice-pick than to have it fall on you. I opened my tin, burning herb in my one-handed grinder. How did it go with Gabriella? The boy was in his Skyrat costume, sans mask. He looked awful. His eyes were swollen from crying. Mr. Bird, I think I messed up bad. Lucretia joined us at the table with tea. Grinding, I reassured him. It's okay, son. Tell me what happened. He recounted the events since we last saw him. Quat's sake, I said, bringing my pipe from my lips. I'm so sorry you went through that, Scott. I squeezed his shoulder and patted his arm. What an awful thing to have seen. Lucretia said, Scott, there's no way you could have expected that. She put a hand on his other shoulder. That boy's death is not your fault. I, he wiped his eyes. 
Who could have seen that coming? She shot one of her own, point blank, point blank. How do you resist someone like that? Fact is, people are smart, I assured him. Moving on to a more hopeful subject. They'll get those Tonys awake. In the next twenty-two hours, tears were forming in his eyes again. She had a point, Mr. Bird. There are worse problems in Green City, problems way bigger than me. I don't think I can. He looked away, then to Lucretia, he said, I don't think I can do this anymore. I wanted to help people, to be like my mom, but not if it's my so-called help just hurts more people. My wife and I shared a look. Lucretia said, Sometimes you... Scott, you're right. We live in a corrupt city, in a fractured country, in a broken world. Man, it's bigger than you. You're right. But every life saved makes your struggles worthwhile, even Tony lives. To save the lives of your enemies is one of the most noble, righteous acts I can think of. But if you want to hang up your shirt sleeve, your choice. No one will hold it against you. I wouldn't. Lucretia wouldn't. I don't know, said Scott. You don't have to, said Lucretia. Not now. Go home. Get some rest, yeah? Leave this burden on us. You don't have to carry it, okay? Come back first thing in the morning. We'll have everything figured out. I'm going to make some calls as soon as you leave, my boy. We won't let those people die. I showed him the door. Before I closed it behind him, I called out as he walked away. Skyrat, I said. He stopped and turned his head towards me. I believe in you, I told him. For some reason, I felt my eyes well with tears. I've believed in you for a hundred and ninety-one years. Scott walked back to my door. The version of me that you made up, or whatever, what were my powers exactly? You know, I looked up at the waning moon. As near and dear as my sky rat was to my heart, I wrote those stories many lifetimes ago, I admitted. Your powers changed and evolved over the years. I never published any of your adventures, so I never had to settle on it. He put his hands in his pockets and shuffled a step in my direction. Okay, so what's your best guess? I closed my eyes and took a deep breath, slipping the tendrils of grey matter into the murky waters of the past. After a moment, an epiphany. I never wrote about this in one of your stories, but there's a superpower I wrote about having for myself in a story where I wrote you into a video game I was into at the time. It makes sense in context, I think. Scott took another step toward me. Yeah. Lucretia slinked up behind me, wrapped her arm around my fragile waist. The power is to alter probabilities. Say, for example, you want to bench-press a skyscraper. Or survive a bullet. Or a nuclear meltdown. Or a nuclear meltdown. Chances are pretty low that I could personally do any of that, but maybe your superpower puts the statistics in your favor. This struck him as humorously ironic, and he chuckled despite himself. Statistics? My power is math? You should know that the only limit to your power, Skyrat, Lucretia said, resting her head on my shoulder, may be yourself.
Matthew was alone in the apartment, wearing his old GCU t-shirt and boxer shorts on the couch, listening to a four Algoron album. In his right hand, he held a small device resembling a glue gun, only with more blinking lights and needles. He pressed the bliss applicator to his right temple, pulled the trigger, and was instantly awash with the most divine pain. Light. Joy. Orgasm. Sustenance. Completeness. Oneness. The room swirled. Blue. White. Yellow. Pink. And the individual consciousness of the fundamental particles in the room, numbering ten to an unfathomable power, all competed for his attention, for the chance to say, I, too, am. Then the light cast a shadow directly upon him, and in that instant, in the dark, he was enlightened. He wouldn't remember any of it, of course, not directly. When Robert woke him up, he had the typical disorientation, as if he were operating his body remotely. The aftertaste of copper and rosemary were in his mouth. He was drooling profusely. Wait, his mind asked him, am I really this sweaty skin and hair? Do I really have to be this accumulation of matter again? That was all too practiced in the art of bliss to mention the psychic hangover he was feeling to his roommate. Instead, he asked, Who's she? A tall, dark woman in the hallway wearing Ravi's vintage Daniel Dooley snake oil tour t-shirt. Matt Villarreal? Sandretta O'Connor. Sandretta? Matt. Pleasure, said Matt, sitting up. You were really messed up when we got here last night, said Sandretta. She couldn't help but to notice his breasts and hairless face. He's got better legs than I do, she thought. That's so, asked Matt, searching the mess on the coffee table for his smokes. There are at least a dozen bliss applicators there. More on the floor, a few more boxes of the stuff stacked in the corner. The rest of the apartment was immaculate. Yeah, Matt's my partner, Robbie said, disappearing into his bedroom again for clothes. Louder, Sir Sandretta would hear him, he went on. He broke up with his boyfriend recently. Very sad. Heartbreaking, really. Matt sighed, scratched his greasy head. So he's crashing here for a couple of weeks until he finds a new flat. He came back out of the bedroom and kissed her on the cheek. Listen, Sandretta, it's been fun, but... She ignored him. You're injecting nanotechnology into your coughing brain, Matt. Forget the question of sanitation. How about the neural pathways you're carving? It'll forever change you, man. Matt stood up, saying, Escucha Calicarado. Before his partner could take that line of thought further, Robbie blurted out, Louie Louie shot Kennedy last night. He's in the hospital. And he's asking for us. After giving Sandretta the ice pick look, he turned to his partner. Well, all right, codename Laser, he said, lighting a smoke. After you. Forty-five minutes later, Bargain Laser arrived at the hospital in t-shirts, jeans, and blazers. Both of them stank. The guard at the door waved them into Kennedy's room just as a nurse was stepping out. Louie Louie quite and shot me, he shouted at them. 
moving as if he might get up and steady, winced and rested back into the raised bed. She was trying to make a point to that Skyrat kid, and she did it by shooting me. Skyrat, eh? What else did you do to make her shoot you, Kennedy? asked Laza. I didn't do nothing, he lied. I've been a good little Louie. I didn't deserve that. A half inch southeast and I would have been a goner. Bog sat at the end of Kennedy's bed, and Laser stepped close to his torso to have a look at his bloody bandages. Nice, he said. Does it hurt? She put a quaffin hole in me. Laser put his thumb down into Kennedy's wound hard. He screamed and writhed in pain. Letting up, Laser said, Yep, hurts. He removed his thumb from Kennedy's wound, looked at it, and wiped the blood on his jeans with a disgusted look occupying his mug. I've seen your rap sheet. The world would have been better off with a half-inch southeast. That's enough, Bug said. What do you want from us? Kennedy composed himself, gave the evil eye to both of them individually. Finally, he said, You can't send me back to jail if I talk to you, he bargained. And I won't testify in court. She'll find me, and I'll be a dead man. Laser weighed the prospect. That is a good state for you, I think, he said. But I'll tell you what, give us something we can use, and we'll see what we can do for you. Trepidatious, Kennedy stopped, started, and then stopped again. Louie Louie made a bogus deal with the left hand, and Skyrat messed it up. Oh, yeah? Don't leave out any details. Scott had met Espy on the same corner at the same time every school day morning since they were in junior high school. That morning he wasn't there. He wasn't answering his phone either. None of them. Panic hit her stomach like light hits a room. Maybe he was hurt playing superhero. Maybe killed. Maybe he's still out there somewhere in trouble. She made a beeline to her friend's apartment building a block away. It was a brown, sixty-story rectangular box, like the building she lived in, like hundreds of other apartment buildings in Green City. The bottom floor was windowless. Decades worth of graffiti artists had circled the building's first level in a swirl of color, like unhinged motion lines on a comic book splash page. Windows up to the fifth floor were barred. All of the apartments had small balconies. At the building's entrance, a small orange flying pyramid, the building's security drone, scanned for her identity and weapons, inciting the familiar taste of cabbage. Good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Have you seen Scott? Welcome back, Espy, the pyramid said. Scott is home. It allowed her access to the vestibule where she could buzz Scott's 14th floor apartment. No one answered, but she had a key. She made her way through the crowded lobby to an elevator, which had the usual long wait time. People hurried past her on their way out to work. Others checked their mailboxes. A lady in sunglasses and a dingy jean jacket was having an intense conversation into a cell phone, smoking near the lounge furniture in the middle of the room, ignoring the no-smoking signs heaped by the dozen on every public space in the building. 
Nearby, some guy was sleeping on the lobby couch, wrapped in a green blanket on his side in a fetal position. The elevator beeped, and after it cleared, she got in and pressed the up button. Upstairs at Scott's door, she knocked and waited. After a few moments, the door opened and Scott stood behind it in his boxer shorts, his body covered in cuts, scrapes, and bruises. He was too skinny to be the kind of guy who could throw a car through a building. He looked exhausted. Hey, he said. What the quartz, Scott? She said, pushing past him. I overslept, Espy. I'm sorry. It was not a sincere apology. She stood in the middle of his living room, taking in the sight. This place is a mess. She opened the double doors to the laundry closet to grab a basket. Mom's working on the mainland. He smelled a shirt he found on the floor. She snatched it from him, and he snatched it back. It's fine. He snapped at her, heading towards his room. He re-emerged in the t-shirt that had passed his smell check, in the same jeans he had worn the previous night. A bit of fluff stuck to his hair. His left shoe untied, a phone to his ear. Mr. Bird, what's the good news? I didn't have any, but assured him we were working on it. Okay, he told me. I think I know someone who can maybe help. And he hung up the phone and tossed it under the living room floor before I could insist that he not involve anyone else. What are you looking for? Espy asked. My mask, he said. I have something to do. Espy was exasperated. You don't get to skip school to play superhero, Scott. No. Look at you. This is going too far. Who am I kidding? This went too far last year. The mask was located in the couch cushions. He pulled it over his head and tied it off under his chin. We gave the hive mind tech to the brats, and now Louie Louie is threatened to raid the brat temples and kill everyone, including the Tonys, unless I'll give it back to her. I'm going to. I don't know. I guess I'm going to call Borg and Laser for help. Clothes were being hampered with unnecessary force. It wasn't enough for you to get Ezra killed. Scott snapped. He kicked the coffee table hard enough to send it to the wall. That's not fair, he shouted. Quote you, Espy. Ezra was my best friend, but I didn't control him. I didn't tell him to go and start a gang. I hate the gangs. I hate that they took him from us. If you want to go and point fingers, point them at yourself. It was your own quaffing Louis cousin who put him on that path. She got in his face. Quote you, Jack, she snarled. You can't blame me for my family. He started that game because he wanted to be a superhero like you, but needed numbers to feel powerful. By the way, you're the one who got into street fights with him, not me. You're the one who got arrested with him. Espy turned away to pick up the table. You broke your mom's picture frame and dented the wall, moron. Scott sat on the floor to put his shoes on. I don't need you to clean up after me. Fine, she said. You could put that coughing mask on and go get some more people killed. Fine, I will. Espy opened her mouth to add something else, but changed her mind, zipped her jacket, and slammed the apartment door behind her as she left. There were fourteen hours left on Louis Louis's clock when Skyrat met Borg and Laser on a rooftop near the industrial district. We gotta talk about your mom, said Borg. What? Laser and Borg shared a look. Laser said, Look, 
there's no way to tell you this other than just to tell you. Spell it out then. Your mom's a Louie, said Laser. Skyrock gave a chuckle. Look, you guys, I don't have a lot of time here. Borg unshouldered his backpack and removed a file folder. He gave it to Skyrat. I can get locked up for showing you this. The boy opened it. Callie Tistak has been on GCPD watch list for years, but he flipped through the folder's contents, phone transcripts, delivery timelines, known accomplices, photos. It was a photo that stopped him. She's a courier working for Revolution, yeah? Scott stared at the photo. You know who Evolution's biggest client is. The photo showed his mom having a coffee with Louie Louie under an umbrella in an outdoor cafe on a sunny day, both of them in sunglasses laughing together. Louie Louie, he creaked. Welcome back to individuality, Scott heard his mother's voice say with a click of a pen. The disappearance of the Tonys made perfect sense now, but he felt betrayed and confused. All of a sudden, his mother had been pulled down from a pedestal, and his greatest enemy had been pulled up from the putrid mud she wallowed in. Now they both existed in some gray nexus that even Schrodinger's cat would struggle to describe. Until last summer, I thought my mom flew med supplies to mainland field hospitals for work. But then I went with her on a delivery, he said. She had us carrying guns and sneaking past the Tony blockade at the refugee camp near Iago. I couldn't believe it. We delivered those pens that could jam the hive mind and disconnect a triad from it. You were at the lost encampment? Thirteen Tonys were killed when the refugees broke the blockade. There is news to Scott. News that punched him in the gut. So the pens came from Louie Louie. Or at least she commissioned them, said Bog. Apparently it didn't take too much longer to make the device work on a larger scale. Too bad he didn't work that bad at the blockade, Laser editorialized. Scott rubbed his eyes, adjusted his mask. Too bad. Listen, it doesn't mean your mom's a Louie, Bog reassured him. In a city this corrupt, even the good guys need some bad guys for friends. Skyrat closed the folder. You said something about Tony Poseidon on the phone. It was a double cross that you stumbled upon the night you discovered Poseidon in that van when you fought Berserker. Bog took the file from Skyrat. The Louis abducted him the same time they took the Tonys offline. Seems that Iago's scientists have been experimenting with their own hive mind, but they haven't had any success. Louie Louie kidnapped Poseidon to sell him to Iago. Geronimo was going to force him to develop a new hive mind tech for the left hand. Then she hired Berserker to make sure Poseidon never actually left the island, added Laser. We think he was probably supposed to kill him. Louie Louie knows the Brats have the Tonys, Skyrat said. She's going to have them all killed if we don't do something. Look, if you know all of this about Louie Louie, why not go and arrest her now? She shot a guy, right? Why are we even having this conversation? We can't just pick her up, answered Bog. Kennedy won't testify, so we need physical evidence, something tangible we can build an airtight narrative around. She owns too many cops, 
too many lawyers, too many judges. We have to make a case that would be career suicide not to pursue and convict. Besides, added Lazer, taking her into custody would likely exacerbate the situation. Her kiddos would storm the city lockup the same time they storm the temples. Okay, Skyrat sighed. So what exactly do you propose we do? Suddenly, an explosion to the south. It was the Forest Glen Projects. Two neighboring 50-story buildings, both on fire, blazing from the low levels, making escape impossible. Oh my god, all of those people! Skyrat squeaked at the cops. We've got to help them! You're not helping anyone, Skyrat, Bog said, drawing his duster from its shoulder holster. This is a Higgs boson pistol. Something tells me even you're going to struggle with having your mass increase fivefold. What the quad are you doing, Matt? asked Laser. He's a minor civilian, Rob, and there are professionals on their way. Hear them? Coming from every direction. Stay out of the way, kid. Your part is done. There was a brief infinity between them before another explosion resounded from the middle of the left glen. Laser took advantage of the moment and snatched the pistol from his partner. What the? He's got superpowers, dude. Do you? Laser tossed aside the gun and looked at Skyrat. What are you waiting for? Go be a superhero. Skyrat ran at top speed, hopping rooftops until he found himself across the street from a seventh-floor balcony on the right glen. The heat was intense. The rat backed up a few steps, prepared himself for the leap blasted as if from a cannon towards the edge of the building, and jumped. He was just about to come down on the balcony when he was bludgeoned from his right by something massive, which tossed him up the block and down all seven stories under the roof of a car. He flopped off the crushed roof and onto the asphalt and glass. Ugh! Ugh! He groaned, spitting blood. His side was screaming again. A car screeched past him and crashed into the corner of the building. People rushed by him, over him, panicking. He fought against the tide to stand up. Little pigeon! Little pigeon! bellowed Berserker. Don't concern yourself with that fire. Let's you and I play a game. Skyrat staggered to his feet as the giant closed in on him. He held his palm up to him, pleading, Berserker, wait! There's got to be a thousand people in those buildings. I know you work for Louie Louie. You can't just let them die. People were scattering like ants everywhere he looked. Somewhere nearby there was another car crash. An argument between multiple people was getting out of control on the other side of the sidewalk. Gun blasts echoed in the distance. It was chaos. Berserker ignored Rat's pleas and continued to charge him. His right boot got to our hero first and Skyrat into a storefront butcher's shop window near the corner. My pay directly correlates with the body count, he announced with pride, striding down the road towards the butcher's shop like an eye of a storm. So yes, I will let them all die. Before Skyrat could pull himself out of the slabs of meat and glass, Berserker had him by the front of his hoodie. Burn, baby, burn, he said, tossing Skyrat up a few feet in the air before battering him with a devastating right cross that would shatter a steel beam. He soared two blocks south 
and then through another storefront window. The rat hadn't shattered, but he hurt like he'd never hurt before. Machines and light fixtures spit sparks and made cracking noises around him. Berserker was taking his time as he approached Skyrat's crash site. Little pigeon! Little pigeon! He sang as a SWAT truck skidded to a stop in front of him and vomited up her heavily armed passengers. Consciousness was tenuous at best for Skyrat. He took advantage of the police distraction to lean against the sales counter and catch his breath. There was a red button on a panel next to the cash register which bore the Lee Choi's logo. The world seemed made of gunshots, screams, sirens, and honks. Skyrat thought the teleporters in one of these places are too small to shove Berserker into, but... He charged out of the building. Berserker was crushing the last member of the SWAT team in his left hand as the lifeless body slipped from his glove. He turned toward our hero. Apologies for the interruption, little pigeon, he said. Let us return to your slow and painful demise. He lunged at Skyrat, but the rat managed to dodge, grab a hold of one of his massive hands, and use the momentum of the swing the big villain around and crash him through the wall and into Lee Choi's. Wasting no time, Skyrat picked up the front door where it lay in the rubble on the sidewalk out front, scurried back inside, and bashed the big bee in the back of his skull with the bottom edge six times before Berserker managed to swing around and smack it away. Now facing him, Skyrat headbutted him in the nose. It hurt bad, but it put the Goliath down on his butt with his head precariously close to the store's largest teleporter. Skyrat leapt up to a hanging light fixture, swung down both of his feet and drop-kicked the big man right into the luchador mask, knocking his head into the machine's open door. Skyrat landed by the sales desk and hit the red button, causing the machine to flash and make a sound like a handful of bubble wrap being popped. The room immediately filled with the smell of copper and rosemary. He looked up, prepared to see Berserker's decapitated corpse. Instead, he saw the monster standing up, smiling. You should have brought tape measure, little pigeon. What? Berserker swung, Skyrat dodged. The punch broke open a power pipe which ran down from the antimatter chamber on the roof. Skyrat grabbed the bottom section of pipe and planted the busted in into Berserker's midsection. There was an explosion and the Big B was rocketed through the front of the Lee Choi's and disappeared over the rooftops. Running, fighting, an explosion. Also shocked quite badly by the electrical surge when he jammed the pipe into his nemesis, Skyrat clambered through the remnants of the Lee Choi's, drunk walked out to the street, and went out on all fours. Overwhelmed. Gunshots, lights, smoke, he coughed, spit out blood under the asphalt, his respiratory system burning. Wood, chemicals, flesh? Civilization is a mask we wear his mother said. Lights, screaming, gunshots. The fires were roaring up the Forest Glen buildings. Gunshots, chemical, another explosion. He rolled over to his back. Reality was dimming. Get up, he told himself. Get the quat 
up. An unfamiliar alarm, growing ever closer, snapped his eyes open. Ominous black clouds of smoke rolled across the blue California sky above him. There's no alarm, he thought to himself, as he watched a spot in the sky above him growing bigger, growing bigger, growing bigger. Berserker was falling from the sky, howling continuously without stopping for air. Skyrat had no time for any reaction other than the futile, reflexive one of throwing his arms up over his face. A new sound, like roaring flames, coupled with screeching tires. A flash of orange and yellow light. The howling stopped. Boom! An explosion to Rat's right, followed by a raining of debris. Skyrat jerked up into a seated position. There was a brand new crater in the street, smoking. A fat man was flying towards him from the left, unaided, rotating, pulsing orbs of liquid light, throwing off yellow traces he mented from both fists. His left fist was in front of him, pointing the way, and the right was drawn back, battle-ready. He wore a sleek black helmet with an orange arrow running from the back of his neck. Over his head and pointing down his visor, his t-shirt was an old Daniel Dooley tour shirt. Skyrat stood as the fat man landed in front of him. The power from his hand switched off and yellow smoke trailed off them, throwing off a scent not unlike the severed stalk of a budding Corinthian flower. Laser! Scott coughed. Now the name makes sense. The left hand, Laser warned removing his helmet. Dave. Berserker's shed skin flew past Skyrat, smacking against Laser, swallowing him whole, the force of which carrying him half a block away into a parked car. From the edge of the crater, the monster said, Your friend is the one who should be called Skyrat, little pigeon. He looked different now, darker, as if his entire being, clothes and all, had their vibrancy dimmed. Skyrat backed up a couple of steps. We didn't really get the chance to hash that out before all this. Suddenly, a cloud of smoke billowed from a small explosion at Berserker's feet. It enveloped him completely, and earth-shaking coughs began immediately. Inside the cloud, the behemoth went down to his knees with his hands at his throat. A wheelless motorcycle skidded to a stop just above the street's surface, ten feet from the rat. Bog was driving, now wearing a gas mask. There's enough neurotoxin in that cloud to kill him three times over. Everyone else should be unaffected. I brewed it up after studying one of his shed skins. Berserker's cough grew so loud, they winced and doubled over, their hands racing to cover their ears. Six loud, consecutive electric whooshes went off behind Bog to his left. Gravity waves hit Berserker, putting him down a few feet back, completely silencing him. Skyrat and Bog looked to the source of the gum blast. Espy stood in the street with Jasper buzzing over her right shoulder, her left hand holding Jasper's leash and her right still aiming a graviton pistol. Her weapon set so high that each blast was akin to being hit by Mr. Bird's news van at 165 miles per hour. A cloud of dust rose from Berserker's still and quiet form. Jasper told me you were in trouble, she said. Skyrat said. 
if I'd known it was that easy, I'd have borrowed the coughing gun from you ages ago. It wasn't that easy. A terrible howl began growing from the crater. Then Berserker jumped out of it, straight up into the sky. His mouth was open unnaturally wide, his jaws unhinged by more than a foot, and he vomited a projectile aimed for Espy. The act of throwing up deflated the monster, and his wet blanket skin dropped down into the crater as the complete contents of his body came barreling out of his mouth and its scotched friend like a missile with two hearts, lungs, massive muscles, intestines, and tentacles trailing behind it. The monster's eyes led the charge. Skyrat's heart dropped at Espy's peril, and time slowed as he launched himself into the path of the ongoing bulge of berserker goop. He punched it as hard as he had ever hit anything. On impact, the blow broke open organs filled with the beast's true neon blue blood. What was left of Berserker sailed over the buildings, across the street, and off into the distance, clear across the island and into the ocean. Espy ran to her friend, hugging him hard. I'm so glad you're okay, she said into his chest. I couldn't just sit back and lose you. I've already lost everyone else. Stepping back from him, she began wiping at the glowing blood that had been transferred over to her, asking, Why does it smell like baby farts? Suddenly, a nearby officer screamed and fell to the street. Then another, Sniper! yelled a third as they all ran for cover. It's the left hand! cried Laser from a dozen feet over their heads, dripping berserker blood from his shoes. They're retaliating against the Louis, trying to wipe them all out in one fell swoop. They're sniping first responders to maximize casualties. Bog and I'll go for the snipers, but you've... The fire, Skyrat said, stepping back from his friend. I have to get in there. What exactly do you think you're going to do? Asked Bog. It wasn't a challenge, but a sincere ask. As if in response... One Skyrat became three, became six, became twelve, each in their own color, mask, and hoodie, a spectrum of Skyrats. Together they said, Quarterfy now, then ran in to the direction of the fire.
Counting 